Well, what's up, everyone, and welcome to the latest episode here on RNFM Radio. Speaking of episode, if you didn't hear the one before, episode 165, well, you got to dial back and kick that one in, too. But today, this is episode 166. And of course, as always, if you've got questions, we've got answers, you've got opinions, and so do we. We'll be sharing all of those right here on The Pulse of Nursing. I'm Kevin Ross, all day long, and probably by the time you listen to this podcast. And of course, I'm not alone today. I'm never alone, really. I am here with my comrades, my co-hosts, and of course, a wonderful guest today. But first, I need to say happy birthday to Keith. Keith, I didn't wish you happy birthday on Facebook. I felt like, you know what? I wanted it to come from my mic to your headphones. So happy belated birthday, sir. How are you doing today? I'm okay, Kevin. Thanks. Yeah, I turned 51 on August 15th, and I'm now firmly ensconced in my early 50s. So like it or not, that's where I am, and it actually feels pretty good, and I have a feeling the 50s is going to be the best decade yet. Rock on, brother. Thank you so much. Well, Elizabeth was just talking about humidity in Baltimore. We're not going to get into weather so much today, although it has been very nice here in Colorado. But Elizabeth, how are you doing? Because I know you have got some beach action coming up after we record this show. So welcome. Yes, welcome. Welcome. Thank you, everyone. Hi, guys. And I am, I was just telling them before we got on air, I have my nephews here. They're ages eight and 10 and they come for, this is their third summer for about a week. This time it is a full week and it's camp Scala all week long. So I was telling the guys I'm a little exhausted, but I'm having a blast. So it's a lot of fun. And yes, we're going to Cape May for the rest of the week um, after we record the show. I'm a little jelly, but I did just get off a vacation and tell you, right? So that's it's it's due. I know you're going to have a blast and hopefully you will rejuvenate in some way. But yeah, having some kids in tow, I know how that goes. It can be (laughs) mentally and physically exhausting. And then you feel like you need a mini break. So we are welcoming David Cooper. He's the founder and CEO of David Cooper Consulting Incorporated, a strategic effectiveness consulting firm focusing on the real bottom line in business, which they consider to be people. Through his 20 plus years of experience as a globe trotting business leader and published writer, David has come to believe in the power of personal vision and its ability to move mountains. He knows that when businesses forget their vision, their workforce also loses their He educates leaders to know that successful organizations ignite and employees drive to contribute, create, and flourish. He partners with companies who are ready to reclaim their values and vision of quality service, thus inviting, inspiring, and enabling their workforce to awaken to their purpose, power, and potential, which sounds awesome. He's a self-proclaimed successful misfit, and he continues to celebrate individuality in life and work, and his latest book is called Just That, Successful misfit. His passion for communicating his vision of individual empowerment and authentic corporate success have made him a regular guest on TV, radio, print, and online outlets like NPR, Forbes, CBS, and Newsweek Japan. David holds a bachelor's degree in communication from the University of Wales and a graduate degree in education and a graduate degree in psychology. He speaks French, Japanese, and English. He lives with his eight-year-old son, Edward, in L.A., 
and David Cooper a hearty welcome to RNFM Radio. Thank you very much. That's great. Well, David, it's great to have you here. And let's start at the quote, people are the real bottom line. And I have a feeling that that's really central to your entire ethic. Is that true? That's really true. I totally believe that people are the real bottom line. And the people who have accounting backgrounds may not agree with me, but I think it starts with the people who are your customers or your patients. It starts with the people who do the work. It starts with the people in the community. You can see that with, with healthcare, with population health being a big topic right now. That's about the people in the community. And so it may sound like a cliche, but I really believe that without people, there isn't much else. Well, I, I couldn't agree more, David. And you're, you're right. Some, some accountants might say, well, yeah, the bottom line is cash is oxygen for the company. That's the lifeblood here. But ultimately, if you're not investing in the people, not only your, your end user, your clients, but also your workforce as well, then that oxygen is actually going to slowly start uh, dissipating. And you're going to feel that um, quite quickly if you are not investing, like I said, both in your client, your customer, and of course, the workforce. Yeah, I agree totally. Well, so anyway, that being said, um, I, you know, it was interesting. It, so apropos, I was actually talking to somebody yesterday, or it might have been the day before, just about how much we really want to be not only client-centric, you know, just very focused on our client services, but also what can we do, go above and beyond to make sure that our our workforce is really getting that too. And I think that, you know, for nurses, we do feel beaten down, battered. And again, I don't want to go down this negative road because David, you haven't been along the ride of 165 episodes prior to this, but we have often talked about this sort of burnout that nurses have felt and then how that can really affect, uh, again, that, that client or that patient that we're working with. And so, you know, let's, let's start diving in a little bit and talking about some of that responsibility. So, you know, we have here in our show notes about a hundred percent responsibility. And so what are we talking about here when, or what are you really talking about here and how can we flesh that out? So it's a, it's a great question. And I totally agree that nurses, you know, all the nurses I've known, nurses in my family, nurses I've encountered, they're working not just a hundred percent, but 120%. And all my clients in healthcare. So I work with Kaiser Permanente, I work with Peace Health in the Northwest, work with number of different healthcare organizations. They're all trying to do more with less. And the people are getting squeezed and especially frontline nurses. So my hat's off to them. And uh, my my partner passed away about three years ago and he was in the um, intensive care. And it was the the nurses who were there all the time. And the, the doctor, everybody was trying to save his life. And the, the doctors were there doing their stuff, but the nurses were the ones who were there all the time, who were the ones who were keeping us together. And, you know, I just want to say thank you to all those nurses who were there for their patients in that way. And I think the 100% responsibility is really about, um, you know, when, when the patient passes away and, and, when I watched the numbers go down and I knew that these numbers were supposed to be going up, I didn't know what the numbers were particularly, but I knew they were supposed to be going up and they were going down. That nurse 
could easily take 100% responsibility for whether that patient lives or dies. And that, that's not what I mean. But I think you can take 100% responsibility for how you react to that and how you know that you've done all you can do at that point. You've done the best you can. And that whatever happens now is, is going to be what happens, whether it's good or bad. So the 100% responsibility is really about owning your reaction to something. You can't change Obamacare or Affordable Care Act or uh, whatever you prefer to call it. You can't change that. That's what it is. You can't change big organizations. You can't change lots of those things. But you can, it's a possibility you can change how you react to things. So that's 100% responsibility for how you react to things. No, and I love that. Yeah, oh, go ahead, no, no, Tom. I was going to say, I, I just, I love, I was going to say the same thing. I just love that. Go, but go ahead, Elizabeth. I didn't want to. No, I was just going to say as a nurse who has experienced both sort of ends of the coin being one who used to be highly reactive and pessimistic and angry and just someone who was disgruntled and, and then showed up in that way. And after realizing this and doing lots of inner work to sort of shift how I perceive what's going on around me, um, what you're speaking to is clearly effective and very helpful. You know, now when I show up at work, even if there's a situation I find unpleasant, uh, I am in control. I am able to choose my reaction to that. And, and can I look at this unpleasant situation as, okay, how can I solve this challenge? How can I be accountable for my own actions? How can I be a part of this um, experience? So I appreciate that. How would you suggest, though, if a nurse, you know, is sort of on that learning curve of where I started out, like what is one or like one or two things that practically someone may, might be able to do to really um, take that responsibility? Because someone listening may be like, okay, I understand what they're saying in concept, but how do you actually do that? Yeah, you're, you're exactly right. And, and honestly, I believe that in concept too. So when I'm driving in Los Angeles sometimes and somebody cuts me up, I'm not sure whether I'm, oh, that's just fine. No problem. <laughs> um, I would like to think I am, but I'm not, you know, I'm, I'm not quite Buddha. Not yet. yet. Um, but I think one of the things to do is, is to be able to slow down and that might may sound kind of counterintuitive because you're, you know, most nurses must be rushing all the time because they're doing so many things. But just to be able to stop and think, okay, I'm getting upset here. I'm feeling, how am I feeling? What's going on here? I'm feeling angry. And taking a couple of seconds to think, well, what's, what's going on? What is this about? And when I've done that, I had a boss who I really disliked. I couldn't. I couldn't bear even to be in the same room as him, which is kind of tricky if you have a boss, you can't bear to be in the same room. Um, and I had to sort of stop one day and say, what is this about? What is this really going on? And it was really my sense that I wasn't doing all I could to please him. And, oh, guess what? That's kind of the relationship I had with my father when I was a teenager, teenager feeling like I wasn't really doing what he wanted me to do. And... Once I sort of took that moment to think about it, I was like, oh, you know what? I could stop being like that. I could, I could actually start trying to, trying a different approach. And, and it, it changed the relationship a lot. So slowing down, I think, is a really good way of uh, looking at that. You're so right, David. And 
I know we're not going to go deep into psychoanalysis here, but I'm glad you brought up the issue around your father vis-a-vis your boss, because when we slow down enough and lean into our own self-knowledge and our desire for self-knowledge, and we could call it self-actualization or whatever we want to term it or however we want to phrase that, it's when we slow down enough to watch our reactions, to look at ourselves and realize, oh, okay, I'm projecting here. Or there's some transference, whether negative or positive, towards this individual, whether it's a boss, a colleague, or for nurses and healthcare professionals, even a patient. You might walk into a room as a nurse and realize, oh my God, I'm reacting to this patient emotionally. I'm not quite sure why. And if we don't take the time to slow down and really look inside, like Elizabeth said a few minutes ago, we might miss out on that connection and say, oh, this is bringing me back to such and such a time in my life. That's why I'm having this reaction. And then I can look at that reaction with consciousness and awareness and say, okay, I can change how I'm reacting to the situation. Or I can say, hey, can someone else take this assignment for me? It's not going to work for me. So I love that notion of slowing down. And I like being able to slow down in order to look more deeply inside. Yeah, I think you're exactly right, Keith. It's it's so important. And it doesn't mean you have to take a half hour break, but it is just stopping for those few seconds and reflecting what's going on inside. Well, right. and I wanted to add to some of my own personal growth here, uh, David, and of course, for all the listeners out there is that I do have my own mantra or something that I chant to myself about just pause. So in line with what you're saying, because I know that we've all felt, uh, had those experiences and still I'm sure ongoing where there's a situation that might've become heated. You've got, maybe you got escalated either, you know, like right there, like people could see that it was visual or maybe just internally, maybe you were just kind of boiling inside and you know, people didn't really see it. But how many times have we been there where we said, oh, like 30 minutes later or something, and we said, oh, I wish I would have responded this way, or I wish I would have said that. That would have been a smarter response or, you know, a better response or something like that. And I wish I could go back 30 minutes ago to do it all over again. And what that pause to me, that chance to myself is to say, like, because things do get escalated in, in my businesses and at times. And sometimes I do have to say, I've got to pause for a second. Sometimes it might be in the middle of a conversation, but I, but my colleagues understand, like, I've got to pause because this is going to take me to a place where it might not be so nice. So give me a second so that I can like regroup and give you the answer that you deserve or give you the response that you really need. So that, I mean, that's just what I've done in my own personal growth. Cause I have, I admit that I've been there where I'm like, Oh, I should have said that. And it would have just been a lot better if I had done it that way. Yeah, you, that's that's great what you're saying, and I love that mantra that you're saying to yourself. Just one thing, kind of another tip or another way of maybe taking responsibility is to know what you should be taking responsibility for and you shouldn't be taking responsibility for. Because I think in the caring professions, and I work a lot with doctors and nurses and all really fantastic people, and they usually have some kind of calling for this, and... I also work with not-for-profits since the same thing happens there, that there's sometimes we really want to do everything possible. We really want to do more than, almost more than humanly possible. And then that can really be a dangerous place to be because you're taking responsibility for things which are just not 
possible for you to take responsibility for. So I think this 100% responsibility is for you and your actions, but not for other people's actions, not for machine failings or the weather or acts of God and things like that. So being able to pull it back to what's really my responsibility, I think is a, another way of looking at it. Agreed. And I think this isn't something that happens overnight. As I mentioned earlier, you know, my whole transformation from negative Nancy to, you know, happily <laughs> employed. But I'm curious. So, David, you know, you consider yourself um, a, a learning leader. I'm sort of switching topics here because, like, as I said, this isn't something that happens overnight. We kind of have to learn it. And so I was curious if you could speak to that concept of learning leader, sort of what that means and how you embody that um, terminology. Yeah, you're, you're exactly right, Elizabeth. I mean, I, I feel like I'm still growing. I've learned lots of things. I've worked with lots of coaches, had taken lots of classes, um, maybe too many classes, um, and, <laughs> and still haven't got the message, but um, I'm working on it. But I think the learning leader is, is something that we've used with, with Kaiser Permanente, where it's basically we're giving information to leaders and key contributors um, we're asking them to take that information, like about respectful listening, for example. How can you really listen to somebody, not just what they're saying, not just the body language, but really connect with their heart? What, what, what are they really trying to say in this conversation? Then how can you practice that in your own work environment? And then how can you help other people to do that? So it's it's this love for learning. It's this ability to practice it and then it's the ability to share it with other people well I, I think too david again on a lot of episodes that we've had here on rnfm radio we've talked about leadership really in in the fact of nurses not seeing themselves as leaders because they feel like they, they identify a leader as someone who is in charge but ultimately mm -hmm. we are in charge of our own like ourselves our personal brands our delivery to our end user, our client, our patient. I mean, we are in charge. And, you know, I think if nurses can really embrace that concept, and we have tried for a long time to continue that discussion here, but I also think too, from the people that are the leaders in the hierarchy, so to speak, I think that also nurses want to feel as if they are empowered or do have a voice or at least some kind of decision-making power in this whole process because i talk to people all the time who just feel like if i if i just feel empowered or or supported in a way that i could make even some of the smallest decisions then that would be so so much more helpful for me to continue to learn to continue to push myself to be better but i often think from the hierarchy when there is this feeling of oppression or that you don't have this power, so to speak, to make these decisions, then that can somewhat, I, I, I would say, um, hold you back from really putting like everything forward. You're, you're full 100% because you feel like, you know, that you're being, uh, I'm trying to figure out the like the descriptive, but ultimately you're just not on a leash, but choked, but just, and, and like I'll what's just, the point? Yeah, yeah, it's like, exactly like what, what's the point? Like if I just, if I'm not empowered, why should I be, you know, rise to this occasion? Yeah, I, I agree. I think it's a two-way street. So ideally you want leaders to be empowering their teams and then the teams to be empowering themselves. And 
I do think that everybody can be a leader. Uh, one time when I worked in London, I'm from London, I'm from the UK originally, you may have guessed. I, I worked in London and the receptionist there was a leader and she knew the clients when they came in. She knew they liked coffee. She knew about their families. So she would kind of chat with them while we were being late or keeping them waiting or stuff like that. And I always felt like she was a leader. She was somebody who who knew what her role was and and empowered herself to do that. No, nobody said, oh, you should talk to the clients about their personal lives and you know chat with them, and make jokes. Nobody said that, but she did do that. And it made a huge, a huge difference. But I think there's also sort of empowering yourself. I know from my own experience that, um, and I have a coach who I work with, uh, and we were talking about this yesterday, that I can stop myself. I'll get an intuition to call somebody or intuition to do something, and then I'll think, well, I could do that later. Or, you know, probably if I call that person, they're not going to be that interested, and it's not going to go well. Instead of thinking, let's go for it. Let's see what happens. And so I don't always empower myself because I'm worried what's going to happen. I'm going to look foolish or I'm going to, somebody's going to think I'm stupid or, you know, I'm going to be standing on the stage with no clothes on is my, you know, my worst fear, I suppose. <laughs> <laughs> the worst Especially, fear for every public speaker. Yes, but you have, you have the British accent, so you're fine. So like, I mean, yeah, you've got I, that going I, for you. So people are like, ah, you know. I have, I have the 55-year-old and, and 40 pounds extra weight to think about too, but... <laughs> Right, exactly. <laughs> well, being 51 now, I can, I, I hear you on that. Mm-hmm. But David, what I'm hearing on this also, other than this issue of standing naked on a stage, is the notion of really, in the end, if you pardon me, standing naked before ourselves. Because if we want to be mindful, if we want to find balance in our lives, if we want to serve in the way that we can best serve the world and society and our colleagues and our family and our friends and our neighbors, etc. There's, there is a certain transparency and depth that we need to develop in ourselves. And what I understand about you from reading and looking at your website and my interactions with you and Jennifer, who's helped us set this interview up, is that mindfulness as a form of self-care is really important to you. And finding that way to create that sort of transformational life, that life that that's really well lived, where you're fully aware and really present for yourself and for others, that seems to be a very important part of your mission. Do you want to speak about that and about mindfulness especially and how that plays a part in this entire process? Sure. And mindfulness to me is nothing more than just being in the present being aware of what's going on. So before this call, I walked around the block in my neighborhood and I just was aware of the smells of the flowers as I walked past somebody's yard or the sunshine or just just how my feet felt felt on the ground. And those things don't necessarily produce results. I didn't make more money today because I walked around the block. But just being present in the world and knowing that I'm a human having this experience in this amazing place just helps to ground me and helps me to do other things. And one of the things I think which is great about mindfulness is that it, it kind of turns off the, the noise. So 
there was a quote which I thought was pretty good from Brown University, which is, you know, mindfulness and, and meditation is a sort of volume knob for sensations. So you can kind of turn down some of those sensations or turn them up, which then can help with depression or pain or uh, stress, which I think lots of your listeners will know about from their work that mindfulness is very, is quite common with patient care. Uh, UCLA has a whole mindfulness uh, program. So I think just mindfulness being present can help you clear the space to really focus on what's important, to feel grounded to who you are and what you're here for. And so that you can actually give back more to yourself and to your patients. Well, and, and I think, David, it's so, this is so apropos. So I literally was, so I, before the show, I don't think we said it on the air or at least on this podcast, but I was saying that I went on a bike ride uh, about an hour ago before this. And I was, Keith had called me earlier and had a few other meetings and things going on. There was a lot of noise happening and I had a break in my schedule. Something got moved and so I had a little bit of time. And so I decided to, you know, take some of that mindfulness and, and reconnect with who I am. But for me, like I get really intense on the bike. So I just, I really drive myself hard, get that cortisol release, you know, get the endorphins going. And then after that, after the workout happens, then you know, I turn off the music that's coming into my headphones and I just pedal easy and I just take in the breeze and I just take in the surrounding noise, whatever that is. And I'm in Colorado in a, in, in a suburban area. So there are areas where it's very, very quiet and the trails are, are very nice. And I just kind of bring in the scenery because ultimately each one of us that's on this call today that, you know, you, David and, and Keith and Elizabeth and all the listeners out there, we have things happening. There is a lot going on in our lives. And being that this is so apropos, because I'm actually going to be doing a podcast right after this talking about self-care, and this really fits right in, is that reconnecting with us. And as Keith said, um, even getting transparent with our needs and who we really are and what's going on, I think that kind of vulnerability um, is, is key but being mindful of who we are, what, what our needs are, and making sure that our needs are met. And, and that's not about, that's not selfish care. That is self-care. That is taking care of you. Because ultimately, if you're not taking care of you, I'm not taking care of me, then a lot of the, these other things are just kind of falling down around me. So I could surround myself with the noise all the time and turn the volume up to 11 and just surround myself with that. But it's not sustainable. It just isn't. No, you're exactly right. I think self-care, I think people get, a little nervous about that because it does sound like selfish care, but really, you know, the old example is on planes, you always put the life jacket on the child before yourself. Um, I hope I never have to experience that, but that's what they always tell you to do. And is you, 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 you've, um, does that actually make sense with what we were just saying? Anyway. No, no. Yeah. You, sure. You're right. Cause we okay, talk about good. the oxygen mask and the, yes, yeah. definitely. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Yeah. So, so you know, put, that, put, well, put, put it on, you put it on you, like put the oxygen mask on you so that you can yeah. help that person next to you. So okay, yeah, yeah exactly. you're in the right, you're in the right plane, you know, Thank you for, you, we yeah, just have to good. make sure you put the oxygen mask on you on yourself first. So, so yeah. So I think it, it's, it's really important to, think about yourself so that you can help others. And I did a little research about people in healthcare and physicians. And it's interesting how many physicians, their own personal health is, is worse than some of their patients. I mean, it just is 
it's it's sad and it's it's hard and it's tough and physicians just like nurses work very hard too but it is interesting that some of their self-care you know negatively you could say is lacking so how are you looking after yourself so you can and look after your patients in this very strenuous very demanding very challenging career well and i think probably at the clinical level it it is quite challenging and for i don't work i work as a nurse in my own company and and uh, Keith also is still a practicing nurse, and, and Elizabeth is also you know an RN. But we aren't necessarily at the bedside, and so that can be those those pieces can be critical as, as far as like a meditative process or a, a mantra or something that can kind of help us correct that course and to make sure that we take care of ourselves on our days off. But that's where it kind of becomes challenging because again, I had a, a meeting that got rescheduled, and so I had a hole in my schedule. So I was able to say, you know what, instead of filling that with more work, I'm going to take care of me. Um, so I do have that flexibility, but again, it's, it's a path that I've chosen and we're always telling nurses that, you know, if, if it's not working for you, then we've got to, you know, you need to be figuring out what it is that you want to do, what's your end game here, your end goal. Um, but ultimately, you know, Elizabeth, I, I don't know if you, well, I know you do because I mean, you're about to head to the beach here in about 30 minutes. So <laughs> you, you're like self-care queen. So, I mean, I don't know what you need to add, but I, I know it's going to be pretty, plenty of gold nuggets here. Well, I just was listening to you both talk about the clinical aspects, you know, the clinical folks and, and using mindfulness in their careers and the way that I've written about it and, and spoken about it to those, you know, in my audience is as a nurse, it, it, here's a perfect example. You go into the medication room, you're trying to, you know, calculate a, a bag that you're going to titrate. Hopefully I'm using the right words. You know, I'm not that nursey. Um, yes, you're, you're, you're on, you're on. Put the but, oxygen mask on you first. And exactly. Then you're doing the calculations, calculations there, for the titration. You might be doing. Yes. Mm -hmm. Too many people are talking at you. The telephone is ringing. The clerk is telling you this one's going down the floor. The patient's family members asking you to get them off the pot. All these things are happening at once. Okay. And if you're, if you don't have some sort of practice um, in, as we're talking about mindfulness here, if you don't have a mindfulness practice, well, then that those noises are going to, you're going to perceive them to be sort of amplified. And then if you have a practice, so what I share with folks is the reason that we call it practice and the reason we do it in quiet is because you literally are practicing it. So when you're in those busy hustled moments, it's easier to, you know, call your attention to what you're doing, focus on the task at hand and sort of drown out the other noise that, you know, it will be there waiting for you when you get to it. So David, I don't know if you um, can agree that practicing in the quiet kind of um, helps us prepare. It's like getting on stage to prepare for the real world. You know, do you have sort of some tips that you can share with our listeners of ways that they can um, cultivate this, this a, a practice? Maybe if someone listening has no, you know, has never done this before. Sure. So yeah, you're exactly right. You do need to practice. And uh, there was a study with the uh, University of Rochester Medical Center, which where doctors went through um, a program about mindfulness and found that they were just much more able to listen better and be not less judgmental. And then that impacted the patient outcomes. So, but, but you need to learn and practice before you can do it because if you said Elizabeth if you're in the middle of it it's it's not the time to start learning and practicing mm -hmm. and I, I guess you know we we have a, a program that we're putting out which is a 
a 21 day meditation program. If you have uh, 21 days, then you can create a habit and that's five minutes a day of listening to a meditation. And then other things that you can do, just taking one minute to, I was going to say find a quiet space. I don't know where that would be, maybe back at home, but um, <laughs> to, to the bathroom. Um, take a minute just where you are and just to stop and to put your feet on the ground uh, if you're sitting or if you're standing, put your feet on the ground, feel your feet on the ground. Then move your way up through the body and just notice how your trunk feels. Notice how your shoulders feel. Notice what's going on in your arms. Feel how your face feels. Just taking a few minutes to kind of scan through your body. And if thoughts come up about the patient and... Uh, I had no technique, no nursey terms. I'm sorry. I, I, I'm going to try, but I don't have any nursey terms. <laughs> it's okay. Uh, okay good. Um, but just to, to take that moment for yourself, 30 seconds or a minute, you might be surprised what happens. I know when I, I, I meditate for 15 minutes in the morning before I start anything. And when I do that, and all I do is I just put 15 minutes on my phone and it rings when 15 minutes is coming up. And as thoughts come into my mind, I just say thank you and then let them go. And I'm just focusing on how I'm breathing. And when I do that, I just find my day goes so much better. Things just go so much better. And when I don't make time for it, then I'm stressing out and I'm getting snippy with people and you know I'm getting to be pissy Brit and it's not fun. <laughs> pissy, I like that. I like yeah. that. Right. Yeah, my my team knows what that means, um, but when I am giving myself that that time, I'm fifteen. I started off with three minutes. I didn't start off with fifteen minutes. Just each day, it really helps. So just just taking that time, or just being. One other thing is to go for a walk around the block, and and what are the smells you're coming across? What are the things you're seeing? Just really look at those things. Uh, so any anything where you can really just focus down on what's happening there at the moment and maybe one of the senses, I think, can start to build that practice because Elizabeth is so right. It doesn't just happen overnight. And this is a constant build in this. And I want to say you, wherever you are in your nursing career, you're you're doing fine. You're You're exactly in the right place. You haven't done anything wrong. This is not about being fixed. This is just about possibilities to do more. Well, David, that... That's wonderful. I've just been listening to you. And I know we want to talk a little bit about this 21-day meditation program that will be offered starting September 28th. But the first question I have to ask is that while you were talking about relaxing your trunk, relaxing your shoulders and your arms, I found myself relaxing. So I want to ask, is the voice on the meditation series going to be yours? Uh, it's not going to be mine. Darn. Um, I know. <laughs> Maybe next time. Okay. No, it's, it's not going to be more mine. I, uh, well, I felt like I needed a professional, um, and I wasn't really a professional. But um, we, uh, well, you can you can tell. Now I'm embarrassed. Now now you're making oh, dear. Me, oh, now no. you're making me blush. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll just pause here for a second. We'll be fine. Yeah, no, but but it's 
you're you're right, David. It, I, I mean, or well, and, and Keith and Elizabeth. I mean, all these points are so valid, so right on. I love the practicing piece of it, and I like what you just said. Like, we're okay where we are right now. We we know that we want to get to a better place, and we're going to have to work on that. We're going to practice that, as Elizabeth says. And you know, it's like my kids, my my three boys, all the time. You're like, we were watching the Little League World Series on TV, and they're like, "Wow, these guys are good," you know. And I'm like, "Yeah, but." they didn't just wake up one day and they're that good. I mean, it takes practice and, and you, you have to want to do that. You have to want to change to be better. You have to want to be better. And then I also like what Keith was, was saying too, like, you know, Keith, you felt starting to feel a little looser, a little more calm. And, and I, I was kind of picturing this concept of these like super users, you know, David, in a clinical setting where we could have, you know, nurses who are mindful in, in that, sort of meditative practice and can maybe even assist a nurse who looks in distress and maybe just the the sound of their voice or just a, a, a touch or something that can kind of like bring them back. But I know that for me, when I was in the clinical setting in an ICU, uh, a very intense ICU, um, you know, no pun intended, but just it was, it was very intense, a lot of bells and whistles, a lot going on. And I remember walking in the room first and foremost, because most of my patients had a breathing tube in and they were unconscious. So I wasn't necessarily going to strike up a conversation with them right away. But what for me I felt was appropriate is to walk in the room and just kind of take things in, take in the energy, just get a feeling for what that is. So I could feel as if I was attached to that or aligned with that in some way so that I could provide good customer service or good client services as a nurse within that unit. I felt like I just needed to align with that. And it wasn't about getting buried in the noise. It was just kind of like finding my own cadence, my own rhythm in there. Yeah, I love that. I love the idea of you just stopping and taking in the energy because I think I'm guilty and, and maybe some of the nurses who are listening are, have this issue too, that you you want to do something. So you rush in and do something. And sometimes by stopping and looking what's going on, you realize what you need to do rather than what your mind is telling you to do. So one, one thing that I did in a class recently with um, a guy called Robert Holden, who's also English and writes about success and hap he did uh, the happiness project. Oh, yes. In his, yeah. He, so he's a great guy. And in his classes, he starts them off with you're standing up and in pairs in, in dyads, just saying to each other something which I think is based on an African tradition where instead of saying, hello, how are you? They say, I see you. And then the other person says, I see you. And it sounds, no, I see you, not intensive care unit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, that would be good for nurses. Maybe we'd change it up a bit. Um, so I see you. So you, you just stop and take a moment and, and really look at the person, look in their eyes. And, and when you say, I see you, you are really taking what's going on with that person. What, what's their heart saying? Where are they? And then the other person does the same thing. And it can be incredibly moving and it can bring people to tears and it can bring people full of joy. And it's just a moment. So maybe just some way of greeting people rather than just, hey, how's it going? What did you do last night? To actually stop and really greet somebody in a way that you value who they are could help with this mindfulness. Mm, I love that. I, I love that. I see you. I agree. You know, when I go into work, sometimes you just say, good morning. How are you? And people's like, good. How are you? But it's so sort of like scripted that I don't really feel a connection there where, as you're describing, really pausing, making eye contact and saying that 
I see you <laughs> is, is more of, of really a way that two sort of human beings, for lack of a better word, can connect with each other. Yeah, I appreciate that. You know what? My workplace is still very small. It's a small mom and pop home care agency, David. And the way we all connect is when we all come into the office or come for a meeting, everybody takes turns hugging. I mean, that's just part of our particular culture. There's a lot of hugs and laugh when we get laughter when we get started. So, but in different organizations and different cultures, we need to do that in different ways. And obviously, we can't walk into every workplace and hug everyone on the floor. So we have to find ways of connecting and feeling connected that work for that milieu, that work for that place. Yeah, that's a great example, Keith. And and it is just working with where you are and, and what is appropriate in that culture. But I think it's going back to what we were saying before about slowing down and taking time to value yourself and value others. Exactly. Now, Let's go back before we close. We have to finish up soon. About this meditation program, I know you don't like to call yourself a meditation expert, and this particular program is powered by the Mentors Channel, which I believe is the channel that's done the Oprah Winfrey, Deepak Chopra meditation programs that have been very popular. I've taken part in some of those. So what can you tell us about this 28-day program? And there will be a link in the show notes where everyone can go through RNFM radio to register for free. So what would you like to tell us about this and how folks will benefit from it? Well, it's a, a 21 day meditation. And so that creates a habit. And if you were to do it each day and the average length of a program is about five minutes and it's really kind of taking you a journey, taking you on a journey through your own career, and then also taking you on a journey through the body. So it's kind of a story in a way where you're looking at what took you into the healthcare profession, what made you keep going, what some of the milestones might be in your career so that you can kind of live that wherever you are in your career, you can live that spectrum. And there's also looking at going through the going through the body. So for example, something about the heart as an organ and healing and affirmations and almost like poetry about the heart. And then also thinking about well, what the, does the heart mean in terms of the images and the thoughts we have around that. So on two levels, the kind of the body. So the as an organ and physically what it does and then emotionally and mentally what it might do. Well, when I say mentally, obviously the heart doesn't think, but what we think about when the, I know enough about medicine to know that's not true. So, and I, I just, it just came to me. I really felt like I wanted to give something back to people in healthcare. And this program, you, you sign up for it just as you do with other mentor channels and they work with Deepak Chopra and Oprah. And I was very honored that they asked me to do one, which was the first time they're doing one for a specific kind of industry group. And it's it's free. You just sign up. It's free. And then if you wanted to buy it to give it to somebody else, then there's a cost. But I wanted to make sure people know it's free. And it's really is a, a gift just to take five minutes for yourself. And it's about caring for yourself so that you can care for others. Well, David, I wanted to, from, from a logistics standpoint, so it begins September 28th. And so is this uh, self 
guided, self-directed in a sense that when you start on the 28th, can you, is this program or process on your own time? Or is this like at a set interval, like it happens at X time, like when you log into this program, you need to be there at like certain date and time or, oh, okay. or if it's, or if it's self-guided when it starts yeah, on the 28th. Yes. Yeah, sorry. That's a great question. Yes. So you get an email each day and you do it whenever you want. So you could do right. it you know, in the middle of the night or you could do it in the middle of the day or, or whenever you want. So it's not, um, it's not, it's totally self-directed. Yeah. Okay. That's good. Mm-hmm. I know our nurses will love to hear that. Yeah. yeah because we're working with Kaiser at the moment and it's very hard to find time when people are not doing things to do training. And so I, I want to make people's lives even more crazy by setting something up <laughs> like that. I just want to make a comment for those listening, you know, encouraging them to do the program because I have done the previous 21 day challenges through Deepak Chopra and those things. And I, I actually, to be honest, I never knew anything about meditation about, mm, I'd say it was about five years ago and I was working at a gym and I kept asking people like, how do you do it? Like, what is that? How do people are like, I don't know. I don't know. So I did go with, in the beginning, a tape. Um, it was from John Kabat-Zinn's book, um, the full catastrophe living book. And, um, really found that to be so helpful as a beginner. And David, I loved before, you know, a while back when you were sharing your practice of how many minutes a day and how you started out with simply three minutes and then, you know, it's increased over time. I I agree. I think, you know, it doesn't have to be something that is terribly challenging. It doesn't have to be something that is scary. It doesn't have to be something that takes a lot of time. And for me, in terms of the fact that I do practice this now, you know, five years later, I have seen great results in in the fact that um, I am much more patient. You know, I talked about earlier how I'm very react. I used to be very reactive. I'm extremely patient. And <laughs> this particular week, you know, with the constant questions from the with my nephews and just what's next and where are we going and who is that and why, you know, being very patient to why that's happening. I also find it helps me feel much more grateful in my life and look at things, you know, with an eye of appreciation. So, you know, anyone listening, if thinking, oh, this is not for me, I can't sit still, all that kind of stuff, just try, just try it out. And having those, those guided tapes will really help those guided meditations because that, again, as a beginner, I cannot say enough, that really helped me get started. And now, of course, I've evolved to different practices, but that really was a wonderful way to introduce myself to something like this and then, you know, reap the benefits after practicing it. That's great, Elizabeth. And and the way you started, I mean, he's the, the guy that you mentioned is the, the person who started mindfulness and saw it as stress reduction. So mm-hmm. that's a great place to be. And then I think some people think that meditation means that you you have your meditation room looking out of the sea in Malibu and you have your nice cushion to sit on and, you know, everything's quiet. I think meditation can happen anywhere. I mean, you could, as long as you don't close your eyes, you can meditate when you're driving, you can meditate when you're walking. Um, don't close your eyes doing either of those things, though. But, <laughs> good idea. Yeah, good idea. Oh, you, may, you may be seeing some of your colleagues more often than you wanted to. But, um <laughs> But yeah, you can do it anywhere. It doesn't have to be that. And there's lots of things uh, in the mindfulness that training that we do, like walking mindfulness or when you're doing work around the house, just being mindful around that. And that can be a kind of a meditation. So I think some Buddhists would say, you know, doing the dishes is 
a form of meditation. I don't go that far, but some people would say that. Well, yeah, I, I have to agree. Let me just really quickly say I do have to agree with that because I do hear people's objections of I can't sit still. And so, you know, that putting that objection, objection aside or I can't find the time, if you're fully present with the dishes, and as you were talking about earlier, David, you know, when a thought comes in, just saying, ah, oh, thank you, observing that, letting it go. You can really do that when washing the dishes. In fact, that's how lately I've been practicing. I'm like, you know what? Maybe I'm not finding the time this particular week. But as I'm folding their laundry, as I'm doing the dishes in the evening, you know, instead of being like, oh, gosh, I wish everybody would just shut up. I'm just fully present with what I'm doing and just focusing on the breath. So at least I'm getting a little bit of mindfulness in on the fly. <laughs> well, wow. So why don't you fly out to Santa Fe and fold Mary's in my laundry and do our dishes, Elizabeth? It would be awesome. <laughs> That would be very the, mindful, by the way. Right. Well, I just wanted to call out, you know, Elizabeth, I because I feel like you're you certainly uh, and, and David, you know, an authority in this space. And Elizabeth, I do. I look to you as an authority in this space. And it's I think it's refreshing to hear because and your transparency is just always so welcome. And I think the listeners enjoy that is that you were just saying like what five years ago, kind of like what what's this whole thing? Because a lot of people are out there saying like, well, I don't even know how to do that. I mean. And, and as David said, like, it's, it seems like it takes so much work. It takes so much effort. Like I've got to actually put, find this quiet room and this like thing to sit on. And then I've got to like, you know, hum or something, or what is it that I'm doing? Like, forget it. I'm not going to do it because it's just way too much work. And really that process shouldn't take that much effort to do. And, and I think with this 21 day meditation program, I think people will really find like, oh, that wasn't actually so bad. And quite frankly, this is really helping me. Um, and, and as you said, you know, feeling that or watching that or listening to that breath and, and connecting, reconnecting with you, because again, the noise, we can get mixed up in all that noise. I mean, it, it's easy to do. So I think that meditative process is recentering, you know, your focus. I mean, we are balls of energy. I mean, you know, we are charged particles. And so like we re need to reconnect, you know, as David was saying, anatomically from a heart, our heart electrical activity, but also the heart that's in our minds, you know, emotional uh, pieces here. We need to line all that stuff up and in just a few minutes a day can really help recenter us. Well said. Well said, Kevin. I love that notion of the electrical heart, but also the heart and the mind. That's great. And that brings to mind heart math and all the work they do there. And David, I want to make sure our listeners know that they can find you at davidcooperconsulting.com and Cooper is spelled C-O-U-P-E-R. So davidcooperconsulting.com, also facebook.com, David Cooper Consulting. And you also have a healthcare page on Facebook. It's facebook.com slash celebrating the healer. So I want to make sure folks find you there and on uh, Twitter as well, David Cooper, C-O-N-S, David Cooper Cons. Um, that would be consulting. So they can find you there on YouTube, on LinkedIn. There's lots of places. And the link to register for this meditation program beginning September 28th will be here on the show notes. And Kevin, do we know what the URL for those show notes will be? rnfmradio.com forward slash. Well, I almost like the misfit uh, piece of it too. I almost <laughs> oh, want to I say forward slash misfit. That. Yeah. Can well, we yeah, that? let's, yeah, that's great, Elizabeth. Yeah. Let's ask about that, that misfit aspect because, um, let's shed some life on uh, a little life, a little life or light. Yeah. This whatever. will be our closing, our closing conversation yeah. will be about the misfit. Nice. David. Okay. So lead us there. So when I was working in London, I was working for a very large consulting firm and my boss at the time said, 
that tie is a career-limiting tie. And I, I thought he was joking, and he really wasn't joking. He decided that my choice of colors and wild patterns were not fitting in, in the environment I was working in. And seriously, I, 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 it was a mis I was a misfit in that company and I, it wasn't going well. I wasn't doing well. They didn't like, you know, they didn't like what I was doing. I didn't like being there particularly nice people, nice company, but not for me. And then four years later, I got an offer to go and work for the same company, but in the States. And it was kind of choice of, you know, having no money or going to go and do this job in the States. And so it was kind of easy decision. And I went over to the States and thought, well, you know, see how it goes. It, it can't be worse than before, really. Well, it turned out that they really liked me and they, uh, you know, I was paid well and I ended up winning some awards. And this was all you know, around training and developing people. And I, I, couldn't understand how you could be a misfit and failing miserably and then you could be a misfit and flying high in another place. And I really got that it was owning who you were and being able to express that to other people and look for those opportunities where you really were valued for being different and not being afraid of being different. Uh, and instead of trying to be like everybody else and failing, in my case, kind of failing miserably, to be standing strong and being different. So that's the misfit bit. Well, David, I think that is a huge, just out of the park moment here because I've personally, you know, tried to go against the grain, tried to go, you know, with my own beat. And I love the fact that you are as well. And we are always encouraging nurses to do that. So Elizabeth, I'm so glad because I, I still think it is going to be rnfmradio.com forward slash misfit because that'll definitely get people's attention for sure. Absolutely. Um, but, but certainly... I think that this is a wonderful way to close the show, and I am certainly aligned with that misfit aspect, uh, David. And I hope that, and, and Elizabeth, thank you for asking that because we did need some clarification you for sure. Got it. I was just so curious earlier. <laughs> yeah, no, that was that was Couldn't a huge. Couldn't find a way to tie it in. <laughs> no, but this was great because it tied it up. So, you know, ultimately, I think that we um, have left our listeners with you know, trying to find their own ways of finding their successful misfit or going against the grain or their own drum, their own cadence, whatever that is. And I love that, David. So anyway, I, I don't know, Keith, if you had any closing thoughts. That's my closing thought for sure. I know that I'm going sure. to be more mindful day after day and take a cue from Elizabeth because when she was saying you go in the office and, hey, how's everybody? It seems so scripted. I know that I've been trying to be more mindful to put my phone away. And when my phone is away then it's, it's, you know, people are, are able to talk to me, talk to my face. They're able to, to see me. They feel like they're able to engage with me. So I'm going to be doing that in my office, you know, more often. That's great, Kevin. And, you know, David, I just want to thank you for your transparency, for your authenticity, for sharing the story about the loss of your partner. And we're so sorry for that passage you went through, but we also see at the same time how it, it was transformational for Thank you. It is and my closing comment is: Can I have my son join Elizabeth's nieces and nephews on their trip? That would help me out this week. <laughs> Take one more along. Yeah, That's he's right. nine. He'll fit in fine. Sure, sure. Thank you, David. I just want to say thank you so much for being here. It was wonderful, actually, to get to know you in this way. You know, visiting your website is is, is 
first of all, it looks beautiful and the information I can completely connect with, but being able to have this conversation and, you know, as Keith was sharing all of the places our listeners can find you at, I'm sitting here in front of my computer already, you know, following, connecting, liking and all that kind of stuff. So I will continue to um, take part in your work, especially the challenge, the meditation challenge. I will be a participant. So thank you for, for sharing all of this wonderful, you know, resources with our audience. And my, my takeaway for me personally was, you know, in the midst of, we've talked about it now a couple of times, I'm heading out the doors as soon as I close the podcast um, recorder and, and microphone and things. It was like, you know what, being really present for this conversation. And and that was so helpful for me to continue to connect with what each of you were saying. And so it really is a practice that we can do at any time of the day. And, and so that's my takeaway is it doesn't have to be, as we've talked about, um, sitting in this, you know, shrine type state, um, being mindful is really, as David talked about at the start of the interview, you know, taking accountability and really connecting with yourself. So thanks everyone for listening. And, and again, I appreciate the opportunity to practice with you all. <laughs> Definitely. Well, and we'll keep up that practice. And for all the listeners out there, all the social media uh, links will be at the show notes at rnfmradio.com forward slash misfits. Um, or, or no, Misfit, not Misfits, Misfit. And you can follow David at David Cooper Cons on Twitter. And of course, Cooper, as Keith said, C-O-U-P-E-R. Of course, follow at Innovative Nurse, that would be me, and at Elizabeth Scala and at Nurse Keith. Continue to just move that needle. Don't give up. Seek out those opportunities. Invest in those ideas. And remember that failure is merely an opportunity to learn. Let us know what's working or not, as we'd love to hear from you. And we look forward to having you back here with us again on RNFM Radio.